Hey, yo, and here we go. Another episode of We Talk Music is on the air and in your ear. And once again, I'm Mata, and I have with me, he's the king of the casters. He is Mr. Brett Podcast. Brett, we got somebody today. It's going to be a great interview. I get the feeling. Why don't you introduce our guest? That's right. Well, we have a guy, we've been listening to him for a very long time now. Uh, he is a multi-instrumentalist. He played bass with Saigon Kick, his Cold Sweat, Big Mick. But, you know, the reason that we are here to talk to him is about his new band, and now we have Chris McLernan. How are you? Excellent. How are you guys? Wonderful. Happy to have you on the show. Like I say, I mean, we've been listening to you for a long time. I mean, cool. big, big Saigon kick fan. So it's... Awesome. Uh, Thank you. It's Me always, too. You know, <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> it was my favorite. I got to join my favorite band, which you don't, not everyone gets to say that. Um, they were starting the Lizard Tour and uh, Tom DeFile got fired and I got the phone call. And I literally, it was my favorite band. And I was like, I can't believe this. So I knew all the tunes. I walked in and just aced the interview because they couldn't stop me. I knew it. Um, and then they said, do you want to join the band? I was like, uh, yeah. So here we are. Yes. I mean, and that's, I mean, that's the perfect, uh, perfect way to go. Really. If you can join your favorite band, I, I'd, I'd, I'd highly recommend it. I think. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think the only band that's got it better than me on that one is Priests, where you have Scott Travis and Tim Owens, who got to both join their favorite band. Yes. Uh, that's, you know, that's a hard one to top. So I don't know if we can get another guy in and sire a kick, you know, but someone's out there. Yeah, yeah, you'll find somebody. But <laughs> I'm not giving up my post, I'll tell you that, though. <laughs> no. So, let, so let's talk about Canal. I mean, it's uh, it's it's a great album. Uh, first off, I... I, I want to talk about i know it's mentioned in the press release but please explain where you got the title <laughs> um is this a family show or do i have to censor myself you do oh, not have to censor yourself for. okay cool when um when i was in cold sweat we toured with dio um and who was you know a mentor in many ways um and he uh, most of his crew was british because they were from the elf and purple days right so he just kind of hijacked and sabbath he just hijacked them so all those guys are british so you know then always uh, colorful way with the language uh shall we say um but if you know they'd smack their foot or something go wrong or whatever it's either fucking hell or again now again you know so that's i was like you know what I, let's let's see if i can sneak this by the goalie and sure enough so that's that's where canal came from it's like you know you smack your foot you drop something you hit a wrong note it's uh, canal <laughs> that is awesome what a great uh, i mean you know because it's when you first look at that title it's it's not it's it's like what where that came from man <laughs> like, right. It's right, like, right. not a family name it doesn't look like oh no but you're kind of going hmm, okay it's kind of like 10 cc the love and spoonful it's like oh well what is what's that you know mm, uh well it's a measurement of something but uh <laughs> um, but yeah, I would. The other name I was considering was, um, and it's definitely more Irish. It was the Feck, um, but I was like, eh, we might have a little more trouble with that one. So, <laughs> I maybe we made the right decision. <laughs> oh, that would have been a lot of fun. Okay, so what's on next? The Feck. Okay, what the Feck? You know, <laughs> no one in the U.S. would have got it at all. You know, but in, in Europe, it would have been. Did they? What did I just hear that? You know. Oh, totally. So tell us, tell us how, how the band came together then. Band came to be together because I always wanted to be in Thin Lizzy. Um, so um, I can't blame you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so um, I gave myself a project and a definition of like, okay, write 10 songs. And of course there's nine on the record, but write 10, 10 
that um, if you're going to hand them to Thin Lizzy today, like here, guys, I wrote a whole record for you. Like if you were here today and you were modern production and modern song, not modern songwriting, but kind of like how you approach it now. Um, you don't have to do anything. They're true to your recipe, um, and, but they don't sound like you're recycling yourself. So that was the, that was the start. I was like, okay, I have my focus. Now, what do I do? All right, I'm going to play bass and guitar because I know that'll cover how I want that to sound. And then I'll sing. Um, and I'm not going to try and sing like Phil Lynott. I'm just going to sing like me, uh, which I've heard everything. I've heard Ace Fraley to uh, Billy Joe Armstrong to, you know, someone else. What was he, someone else said like Jeff Tate. I was like, wow. <laughs> wow. Hey, I'm wondering, is that a B-side I missed? You know? <laughs> All right. Um, and then Colin DeBrule, who's the other guitar player, uh, it, I live in Charleston, South Carolina and, and uh, Charleston has got a bunch of great musicians and Colin's one of them. And he, uh, he's a really good guitar player. He's into Thin Lizzy. Like, I don't have to explain anything to him. If I say, I think the lead on this song or the approach from this live thing or whatever, gotcha. Then he knows how to do it. So we just kind of agreed. I would take the low harmonies and he would take the high ones. So we, that's about the only rule we set for ourselves. And um, then we need drummers. Well, the first couple songs are done by Mark Danzeisen, who was in uh, Little Caesar and the River Dogs, and um, if you ever watched the Brady Bunch movie, he's in the uh, Davy Jones's band. So, oh, oh excellent! I love that song. Love the stuff from there. Yeah, a little trivia there. Um, so he marked in the first couple. Like Mark's on what might have been and Forever After and Easy Come Easy Go. Um, so those are the first couple, and then we had um barry kurtz from shinedown heard it and he's like hey man can i play on this and i'm like duh yeah sure um and uh, he uh he plays on what have i done which he's he's a master of the six eight time signature just kills it um and um he plays on take it all and he plays on kingpin uh and then rick sanders who was in saigon kick for a minute but he was also in sda with jason beeler and pat badger and pete Dombrowski. so and rick and i had a company for about 10 years, we still do it every now and then, which was uh, all for film and TV and advertising music, production music. So also Rick is an incredible multi-instrumentalist. And then the last guy was Eric Rickard, who is the main engineer at uh, Big Animal Studios here, but also a very, very, very good drummer. Um, and uh, he played on Say Goodbye. So we're like the opposite of Spinal Tap. All, we have all these drummers and they're all alive. <laughs> it's interesting how many bands we talk to that, that require multiple drummers though. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's like all, all of a sudden, now 38 Special had a great idea, you know? Let's get them all on stage. As long as none spontaneously combust, we're okay. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I keep my distance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you want to find a small green globule on the seat. How then, uh, how did you go, like, when, when you were writing the songs, like, how long did it take you to kind of put them all together? Um... It, it took a while. And the, the, I think the, the main thing I thought I would struggle with is kind of keeping the guitar harmonies part of the song because they're so important in a Thin Lizzy song or even Def Leppard or Judas Priest or any of the Queensryche, any of the kind of those classic bands that use the two guitar approach. Um, so it's very important to have that be a part of the song and not a show off moment. I mean, it's nice if it's a, a key hook as opposed to just watch this, you know, hey, watch me here. So we got all kind of the rhythms and the vibes and the um, the tones we wanted uh, and the, and how the songs went, went like, you know, okay, we want to type like this. We want to type like this. Like we want a fast one. We want this one that's kind of R&B with horns like Kingpin. We want the long blues one. So we did all that. And then I sat down and I was like, okay, these have got to be stories. 
So, okay, so you start thinking about it. All right, how do, how do we make this into a story? Okay, it's going to be about like Forever After is about John Wick. So just, it's an easy one because it's kind of simple. It's short. So it's like, okay, well, what about this is kind of like what Wick would do in The Man with the Code and da 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 So you start there. So I got pretty much all of those. And then it came time to, okay, I got this verse. Uh, sorry, this verse. Look at this pre-chorus. I need a chorus because the chorus has to tie together what the verse and the pre-chorus are telling you because they change each time because it's a story. So how do you keep coming back to, and this is the focal point, but it's supposed to make sense. Like, uh, uh, and I mean, there were some, I was stuck for months just, Colin would be like, no, that one's good. That was good, you know, kind of, which I think was code for it. Leave it alone already. Um, <laughs> and yeah, he, uh, he'd be like, no, it's cool. It's cool. It's cool. And then finally it was like, I'd, I'd fall upon a phrase, like take it all. I remember just like, boom, got it. There it is. And then, but that song had no chorus for at least six weeks. It had everything else, but there's that big giant oh, chorus. Nope. Wasn't there. It was like, you'd come up to it on the demo and you're da, 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 nothing. And then, you know, the next verse starts. <laughs> Like, oh, okay, I, I think we need something here. It sounds a little empty right there it's in the middle, in the middle section. We need more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's one of those because I mean, we've heard it many times. The whole "Don't bore us, get to the chorus" thing. But uh, yeah. But in that case, I mean, yeah. If there's no chorus, well, oof. <laughs> yeah, you're in trouble. Um, there's a um, a producer uh, who will remain nameless um, in Los Angeles when we were doing a, a lot. Like when we when I was in Cold Sweat, there was a lot of activity around Sound City, that studio, and. Um, there was one producer who's done really well for himself, but he has stopwatch and you better be hitting that chorus before the first minute of the song. I mean, it, literally you don't do it. Even if it was like a really good catchy song, you're cutting down that intro, you're cutting down something guitar break. If there's a drum part, cut it down. You've got to get there before a minute. He was adamant about it. And I kind of get it, but it's also some things are a slow burn, you know, and you got to bring them up, but just don't, like, don't bore us. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah, I think we've heard the story about that producer before. So it's, yeah, I mean, it's it's fascinating, ultimately. I mean, the music industry, but especially back then, do you think that it's changed now? Um, yeah, I, I was at an ASCAP meeting about two, three years ago, and they're saying people listen for the first six seconds to yeah. get pulled into the song. Now, I think that's more applicable in pop myself, you know, um, than let's say rock or hard rock or metal or, you know, I doubt the guys in, you know, um, Gojira are really worrying about if they're, you know, the first seconds of the song is pulling the listener in. They're probably like, you know, you listen to Gojira, you know what you're looking for, trust us, you know, you'll be okay. Um, but yeah, in, in that sense, um, I think what's what has, where bands have not suffered, but they've certainly taken a dent, is a really good producer can make a really big difference. Even if it's just like, you know what, don't do that here, put that here. Um, my recent example from a band I love, obviously, would be Judas Priest. Tom Allen has been involved in the last couple of records and they're the ones that have had the best songs in years. And that's no accident because he's British steel point of entry, you know, screaming for vengeance, defenders of the faith. He's all the big records. So bands self-produce now. And sometimes that's good because you get, you obviously keep your costs down and you can do what you need to do a lot, but um, you don't get that outside look from the producer going, mm, well, what about over here? And, um, and it matters. It really matters to me. And of course, you're talking to someone who produces on record, so I'm a liar and I have no idea what I'm talking about. But I did consult people for sure. Just said, hey man, what do you think of this? And they, you know, producers or engineers or whatever, friends in the industry, like, what do I need to do here? And, or what, what's missing or um, what could make this better? So it was kind of like 
I was lucky to produce it with a lot of a lot of associate producers. So what then do you look for when you're producing like your own stuff then versus somebody else's? Um, all song first. So I'm I'm uh, I'm going to be producing Roy Cathy's band, The Fifth, and um, Roy was a singer in Cold Sweat, um, and he's doing a lot of stuff with RK, uh, RFK Media, and um, they have a song on the same compilation that, that Take It All's on, and um, the first I, like I know I know the band can play. I know he can sing, you know, I mean, I toured with him, worked with him, just saw them. I mean, he's just killing. So my thing is, all right, what do you got for songs? And right now they have six ideas. I'm like, well, we need three times that, you know, just because you're going to start hitting a groove with the writing and just, and you can never have too many songs. So I got kick. We would go in for a record, 45 songs, maybe sometimes more and just go, okay, we need a heavy one. Okay. What's the best heavy one out of this bunch or what's the best, we call it quirky one or what's the best moody one or what's the best vibey one or what's the one that's just completely whacked that, that we can do because, because we are who we are. Um, but you can't have ever have too many songs. You know, you just, it's a, it, to me, it's the song, the song, the song first, everything else is cool. But if that song's not there, man, it's just like, okay, that's a bunch of cool riffs or the drummer's great or, you know, you know, if then there's no chorus, you're definitely going to bore us. You know, you, you're just, you're dead in the water. So what are the vibes like then between the multiple bands that you're in? I mean, you talk about like Saigon Kick. I mean, we know Jason, he's, he's, he's kind of wacky in, in his, in his well own said. way. Yeah, yeah, and, good way. Yeah. And, um, and like, you know, you got Canel. I mean, there's, there's so much that you're involved in. I mean, when you talk about Cold Sweat, Roy Cathy and stuff like that, what are those vibes all like? um cold sweat um is uh and i'm guessing you mean by like what's kind of the internal vibe of the band yeah 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 um cold sweat is um we always wanted to be a really good like 70s hard rock band right like a a bad company thin lizzy um uh like early judas priest um but again with songs um and uh zeppelin is in there aerosmith for sure um because mark's just mark and i both huge aerosmith fans um and like early van halen like again the songs of van halen not necessarily playing and um and we're kind of like all we're just like five you know just really just good drinking buddies that you know, kind of don't drink a lot um <laughs> just kind of you know we're just goofballs having a great time we were you know we went four of us went on our first tour together and we did all our first things together and mark was cool enough to be the kind of the elder brother you know he'd already done four or five records with keel so he was kind of like the, the scout guide. Now, okay, guys, we're going to do this and do that, which is just ingloriously helpful. Um, Saigon, um, it's definitely its own animal, to be sure. Um, I'd hate to call us you know, a bunch of degenerates, which we're not, but um, it's definitely, four, it was four uh, distinct, very distinct personalities, um, definitely way edgier than Cold Sweat, just behavior-wise and just, uh, the way we thought about things and the way we approached things, the way we executed things. But what was important in both both bands was, you know, we had to be good live. So when I went to join Saigon for the first audition, I, they were in Florida. I, you know, I'm in LA. I had no, I'd never seen them. I, I just knew the records. I didn't know if they're any good or not. And then I find out they recorded the same way called Sweat recorded on my favorite bands, which is one take at a time, whole performance. Like you don't go more past two or three and then that's it. So it's like, okay, cool. We get up and play it the first time. I think we did New World and it, they, they just, they could all play it. It sounded fantastic from the word go. I was like, cool, cool. So the band was, the band was good. Like all right, anything else would be fine because I already know the songs are good. So the, the difference, I guess, between those two um, is I think 
Cold Sweat kind of had more of a band personality, like band, like an aggregate. Whereas, um, you know, uh, Saigon Kick was Ghidra plus one, you know, one more head on that beast. And uh, it was uh, all over the place and spitting fire. I, I like the fact that you're making a lot of references to the uh, to to the Godzilla, you know, mythos. That's great. Okay. Oh, yeah. Big Godzilla fan. Big Godzilla fan. What's your favorite one, then? <laughs> uh, of which bunch? Uh, you know, to, well, to get to... I, I guess I guess I think of the Toho ones, of course, in the in the early days, especially yeah. the like you know, I mean, yeah, I, I guess I guess the first section. Uh, I think the first ones um, I like. Um, the first one is my favorite, the original in Japanese. Oh, I'm fine with King of the Monsters with Raymond Burr. Um, I like uh, Ghidra, the three-headed monster. I like Invasion of the Astromen. Um, so those are my, kind of my favorites in that era. Then when they kind of got wacky in the 80s and the 90s, we were like, is this Raiders of the Lost Ark or Mothra? What's going on here? Um, but they're fun. We, they had um, Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla 2 in the theaters here, and I went and saw it. It was so much fun to watch it on a big screen. Um, and, uh, so, you know, that's me being an idiot. And of the new ones, I really liked, um, the first Godzilla, uh, and I liked, um, Skull Island, uh, and I liked, um, what was the very last one they just did with the, you know, going down to Hollow Earth? Was that just Congress Godzilla? Uh, yeah. 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 That was, I liked that one a lot too, because it tied, it tied some things together. Now I saw, I like a short trailer for the new one. I'm like, what is this? Like orangutan Godzilla or sorry, Kong. I'm like. What is this Clyde from Every Which Way But Loose is going to show up? Because <laughs> first, as soon as I saw him, I was like, is that Dr. Zayas? What is good? <laughs> huh? So, you know, perfect teaser. You have no idea what you're going for. But yeah, I the, the respect they've done to the, the new ones, uh, they have for the new ones for um, where they draw from the old ones, I think is great. Like there's... um. When they start showing those articles where they you know start saying you know uh, the, the 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 titans are this and the right if you look closely there's one that says steve martin which is raymond burr's character in the first in king of the monsters so i love those types of things that's like that's to me that's paying attention it's not being a slave to what the fans want but it's a you know it's a tip of the hat mm -hmm, mm -hmm. no that's awesome do, do those kind of things find their way into your work often like into your writing oh yeah Absolutely. Yeah, there's there's a couple things I've snuck lyrics in that are, uh, you know, script quotes, to be sure. Uh, always trying to figure out a way. Like, OK, can I sneak that guitar solo? Can I make that note come from, you know, like the, the Godzilla march or something? You know, um, anything I can um, like on the um, the second the second song, Spatial Survival is about the Mandalorian. So I was like, my, like my main concern for a week or two was like, well, how can I make that one part sound like the Mandalorian's, uh, you know, his, the way his mask sounds, like the translator coming through the mask? I just, I couldn't get it. I couldn't get it. So I, <laughs> when Eric Bass, who mixed it for me, um, said, uh, he's like, because he's a huge Star Wars fan, he's like, dude, I think I can get closer to it. I'm like, go do it. So that was the, that was the, 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 um, the main focus for about three days. Like how, you know, how can we make this sound like that? So yeah, I will sneak that stuff in all the time. Exactly. Uh, where I can anytime. I got to go back and re-listen to it for that, mm -hmm. you know, because yeah. yeah, I mean, I didn't realize I, I, I was actually a lot of it was, I was, I was uh, just grooving to it. I listened to it three times today, back wow. to back to back. Wow, kind of just, you know, and, and each pass through, I was appreciating it more. Cool. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, I liked it the first time, but it grew on me even more, but it wasn't until I went and saw the the lyric videos you did that I that I really paid attention to the lyrics at all. 
because <laughs> I was just so into the groove uh, that you were presenting Thanks. that I was just, you know, moving to it. And then I saw the watch the lyric videos and I thought, there's a lot more going on here than I was yeah. giving it credit yeah. for. Yeah, there's uh, I like that. There's a lot of little lyrical, subtle things. Um, I remember when Eric was mixing, I was like, did you, did you catch this? He's like, no, I totally complete. I missed that. Totally missed that. I was like, what about this one? I didn't catch that either. Um, so, um, yeah, I love wordplay. Uh, I always have been a fan of lyrics, but it's 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 one of the things this record really taught me was you can have cool lyrics, but you got to be able to sing them well. It has to sing easily. So I would find myself moving rhymes around or moving words around. I'm still say still still tell the same story, but if it didn't sing well, I had to change it. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I want to make sure we let everybody know. I mean, we mentioned Canal, but we have not mentioned. I don't think the, the title of the album, "Crash Burn Rebirth." Yep. So I do want to get that out there so people know exactly what it is they want to listen to because it is something they want to listen to. Trust yes. me. And, uh, and, um, and, and that one, that's because that's out of spatial survival. That's the, the, the one of the refrains, kind of, I guess. And because um, I was going to call it me equals MC squared, because I thought, you know, that was you know cute little play on the Einstein thing. And it's like, maybe this Mandalorian thinks he's flying along, you know. And because, um, you know, why wouldn't you? And um, <laughs> Bass goes, no, man, this, you're, you're doing this. You're coming out of your, your your own thing from all the other stuff you've done. He's like crash burn rebirth that's your title i was like yeah and he's yeah and he was right works it works and you know my favorite song is uh easy come easy go and easy go oh, I, I, I don't know why that that's the one that uh kind of on the second listen through i went i think that's it third listen to i went that's definitely it. that's the one for me i mean i just i just uh was singing along and like i say it made me move if it cool. makes me move when i'm in my seat and i don't know i'm consciously doing it that's a successful song to me. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That was a big Ed Van Halen role. If it makes you move somehow, it doesn't matter, you know, how it moves you or what, as long as it literally like moves you, it hits you, you know? And like, like in that one, um, it's a boy girl song, but Lina was so good at making those clever. So I really want to work on those. Like, like there's that line of thing that says, you know, something about, you know, you're still uh, you know, the, the script or about the script and the starring role and just, you know, it's you again, but it's all about you basically is what it's saying um and uh but that song gets mentioned a lot when people say they listen to the record and i because i call it the feel-good 70s hit of the summer you know because <laughs> it's, it's just so upbeat but um but i love the fact that it's it starts with a guitar harmony by itself you know that's what that's what brings the song in because you don't hear that kind of stuff now which i don't want to sound like i'm neo luddite like oh songs just aren't the way the way when i was a kid no that doesn't mean that it just but if it's a unique hook which i wanted for that um, I got it. So that makes me happy. Well, for me, like what have I done? I find very interesting and it might be my favorite because, because like you think that it's only going to go like four minutes and, the, and then it winds up doubling that. You know, I think like, it yep. There's um, I, I would like to release that on a 45 because there's a spot right before the guitar solo stops or starts where the boom, it comes to a stop. So I want to side A, it starts, stops there, flip it over and then the guitar solo <laughs> back up so that's kind of the uh in in the in the works but yeah what have i done um phil verone when i sent it to him said i was listening to it and i went downstairs and like made a sandwich and came back up and was still playing and <laughs> i was still interested in it and uh rickard um who, who played drums on say goodbye uh when i played it for rickard he goes he's like that thing's eight minutes long 
I said, yeah. He goes, it doesn't feel like it because you're telling me a story. I was like, good. That's what you got to somehow keep them there for eight minutes. I mean, that's, I'm just thinking to myself, Jamie St. James heard and he goes, you pick the hardest thing to do, man. You got a slow burn blues and you're singing by yourself and, you, and it's eight minutes long. You're nuts. But it's, that's probably my favorite. That's probably my favorite one. I, just Colin's guitar playing his last one at the end. I think it's just fantastic. Um, he starts it and then I, and we kind of do this cool little thing where we come back in and harmonize just before the vocal start. And that one really, we, we spent a lot of time on that. When Barry sent me the drum track for that, I had a bass line that I, I had done like, you know, to my scratch track. And I said, I'm redoing the whole bass because I know I want to play to what you're doing. And uh, it would just lock, it was just boom, right away. It's like, oh, now it's starting to feel like it's supposed to feel like, you know, up, burn up, and just, and then pay off. I think uh, 45 for the future of the music industry. So that's a good idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make people work a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and it's it's so easy to press vinyl nowadays. I mean, there's no problem. Like it, it like it's quick. Quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Which is crazy because um, uh, I remember telling my kids, you know, about and they're 22 and 26, and my son's a drummer, and they've already done their first record on vinyl. Um. <laughs> It's like, you got to realize, man, no one wanted this stuff 15 years ago. You could have been buying, you know, Led Zeppelin II with the, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the Bob Ludwig mix or nothing, you know, but, or Beatles, I saw Beatles for sale in mono for 400 bucks. I was like, are, what are you kidding me? Come on. Um, but yeah, vinyl, vinyl, vinyl. And I don't know, I'll ask you guys what, what you think it is, but it seems to me like what people like about the vinyl now is they kind of like the sound of it and it's kind of cool and okay, it's retro, but I think it's the fact they have something that's 12 by 12 that they can look at and it's they, they like collecting them not even playing them i've seen that too what do you guys think why, well, why, is, it, why is it resurging well i mean i i'll admit i'm a vinyl collector right now so it's yeah. uh so you know it definitely intrigues me i i think for me a big part of it and and i'm kind of going back to kind of recreate my past collection because sure. I think I think there's there's a lot of nostalgia and even though like i never had these on vinyl in the first place i always had them on cassette right but, yeah but it was what I love about it is I love I love the tactile feel and I love being able to read to well a to see the art to read the liner notes and to dig in. I mean, my education in the music industry came from reading liner notes. Yep, absolutely agree. True, it is. It is. I think it is the the work that you can see that's put into the product. Is the you know you can hear the work in in, in an album. But to be able to see it, physically be able to see the, the work, the extra little love that goes in from the band, yeah. that that is to me what, you know, makes it, if, if, if they put that much passion into it, you know, right. bands put that much passion into it, it's going to increase my passion, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it just oh, yeah. does. Like, I, I don't know why, but it just, I, I, I feel like I know the band a little bit better from vinyl. Oh, yeah. I do, um, you know, just hearing a song on, on, you know, Apple Music or whatever. You don't really know the band, but when you get that vinyl, you get that, you see that cover and the whole thing, you feel like you know the, the band. It's right. Increases the connection. Yeah, it doesn't feel just like a transaction, you know. It feels like um, there's been an exchange, which I think is different. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. and another one of the things, too, with vinyl is, is the limited length of you know songs that you can put on there yeah, oh yeah, I, yeah 
I love that because because there was something about when when I mean all you talk about Aerosmith. I mean you talk about those early albums. I mean they're like forty minutes each, and you can ah. listen to like 10, 10 40 minute albums. It's no problem. It's it's fast moving, and you're picking the best stuff. And that's something I love about Crash Burn Rebirth, right? Is that it's that thirty nine minutes, and you're not. It it's it's like when you look at Metallica and their and like and all their albums have to be like 75 minutes and it's kind of like, okay, that's, that's a lot of music. Right. If I hit the edit button, I would have done this, you know? Yeah. Um, totally agree, man. I think when, what changed is when things went to CDs, that's when everyone thought, well, we'll just fill them up because it's value. But mm-hmm. okay. All right. Let me go to guns and roses appetite, which everybody <laughs> loves. You can yank probably three off of there and it would make it nothing but better. You know, and I love that record. But once it got to that sort of stuff, not everything is Operation Mindcrime, where, you know, it needs to be 65 minutes. Yeah. You know, Van Halen records are typically under 34 minutes. And mainly because I think they wanted that sonic, you know, pop right, right between your eyeballs. But I think you can mix it and master it louder when the grooves are cut bigger in the record. That's right. So yeah. You start crunching it down. Like Mindcrime sounded like crap on vinyl but it sounds great on CD. And that's why. And the, uh, Iron Maiden, uh, Power Slave, it was the same thing. I mean, Martin Birch, there was a note that came with it that said, hey, we had to do this and this and this to make it fit on here. It's going to sound okay. Sorry about that. But then release it on CD and it's like, boom, it opened wide, just wide open. Oh, it was huge. It's, it is very interesting because there, there are some albums that I put on on vinyl and I hear different things than I do by playing them, you know, on CD or, or certainly through the computer and just, you know, just on the Apple Music or whatever. Yeah, totally agree. Um, and with um, what I do is uh, I look in like the dollar bins um, and I find, and I, got, I just was at a Goodwill the other day, I'm dropping off some stuff I'm like, yeah, let, you know, let's go and see what they got. And I love going to this particular store because they, they, I don't know what, what is about the neighborhood, but they, they bring on what I call grandpa's records. Mm-hmm. So all jazz records, all these classical records, they're spotless because by God, you better not touch grandpa's records because, you know, I lose his mind and he took care of them. So I bring, I got two Berlioz symphonies. I got Romeo and Juliet and I got Symphony Fantastique and they're perfect. I mean, the Columbia masterworks on 89 cents. Woo-hoo! You know, <laughs> each, sorry. And then, but I'll find Chet Atkins records or Tony Matola records or Al Cayola records or, you know, Jimmy Smith or West Montgomery for like a buck and a quarter because, because eh, it's not, again, we're not, we're not selling Beatles for sale, you know, for, oh, it's mono, mm-hmm. you know, it has the German cover with the, you know, but it's the $900. What? No, 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 no. And, and, and again, I think it's at this point in my career, I have a much better respect and regard for those who came before me. Like, and there were a lot of bands who did a lot of records before I even thought about making one. And in the best rooms in the world with the best um, um, equipment, with the best people. And you just listen to stuff. You go, wow, I play rock and roll and I might be kind of, I should shut up because I might not be any good. You know, I'll just be over here. You know, it, it's funny because, you know, I mean, everybody nowadays is doing it in their home studios and very few people, bands are are getting together. I mean, they're, you know, recording a track and sending right. it off digitally to somebody else who's recording then their part and back and forth. And the mixing, everything's done so differently than it used to be. When uh, Occasionally we've had on guests, you know, we've been doing this for 12 years, so we've had on a lot of guests. 
And when we get one on who says to us, we were in this studio, in this iconic studio recording, and we felt the energy of those other bands that came before us in there, like we immediately respect them that much more. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Oh, that's, a, that's absolutely it. When we did um, the Cold Sweat record, we did it in Sound City in the big room. And that was the board that Dave Grohl bought um, and now has it at his house. And if you look closely, you can see me and the guys in Cold Sweat in the in the movie uh, Sound City. Uh, I sent him a picture okay. of us standing over the board. Yeah, so I get thanked in the credits, and because uh, people would, when it first came up, you're like, "Did I just see you in Sound City?" Yes, you did. <laughs> but same thing. Like so, Sound City. We're going in for to do something one day, and Brian Wilson is in there rehearsing with an orchestra because he's like just testing something out. And I walk by. Anthony was a huge Beach Boys fan too, and I walk by the door because it's kind of creaked. I'm like, "That sounds like Brian Wilson." So you can, and, but I'm like, I'm not thinking, you know, me and Brian Wilson are in the same room, you know, and I look over kind of sneaking like, oh my God, it's him. And so we just kind of sat back and just listened to that. And, you know, Fleetwood Mac did records in that room. Um, uh, Y&T did records in that room. Um, I think Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Rick, oh, who else? Um, there's someone else. There's another huge record in that room. And it was just one after another, after another. Ario Speedwagon did High Infidelity there. And oh, like wow. you said, you feel that, you know, that's in there and you just go, all right, well, you know, we got to bring our A game here. Yeah, is that's it incredible? When, you know, when, when you're a band, like, is it difficult to, to choose to bring your A game sometimes? Um, it can be. Um, Kevin Beamish taught me that, you know, what you really want on a record is performances. Um you just, he used to say, we're, we're making widgets, not, we're making uh, magic, not widgets. Um, he just smacked me and said, no, we're making widgets. At, wait, sorry, Kev. Um, but he, um, and that was, that was the, the main thing I would hear over and over and over from anyone who made records. You just got to grab that feel and make every sure, make sure everyone's on the same page. And yeah, man, there were some days like with Saigon, like I said, we had that kind of un, uh, not unenforced rule, but that casual rule. Like if we don't get this within two takes, that's it. We're, you know, we're just, we'll leave it for another day. And I think we did that on devil in the details was going on. It just wasn't the right tempo. We just couldn't get it that one day. So we put it down for like two days and came back to it and nailed it first time. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird thing to be able to have everyone zone in on the same vibe. Um, and the good bands are really good at it, but it's just like anything else. It's practice. I mean, part of it is luck. You, you get the right bunch of guys. So you can have the wrong bunch of guys and try all they want and just, mm. but when you hit it, and it's all like like the universe is just doing it for you, just kind of you know throwing the bricks out and building the road as you're just kind of you know run, running at top speed along. It's a when it happens, it's amazing. And now I listen to some of this stuff. I go, wow, that's we 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 were hitting on all cylinders most of my career, luckily, you know, and thankfully. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because because it doesn't even have to be the best musicians, you know, put together. It can it just has to be the right chemistry. Absolutely. Well, and what's the, the crazy thing about the recorded medium is you can record things that are like today or, you know, 55 years ago. But if that vibe is captured, anyone can still feel it. And my, my example for that is I, I used to put together like these mixed CDs for the kids when they were little. And it had everything from like Dizzy Gillespie, Salt Peanuts and to Stray Cat Strut, to, you know, I don't know, Rammstein to what I just you know, throw everything on there. So um, one time they're in the kitchen, just kind of sitting around doing whatever. And in the mood came on or a little brown jug or some Glenn Miller thing, right? That's like, they start running around the room. They hadn't done that. So I was like, all right, let me see. I hit pause and they stop and, you know, whatever, and distract them for about five or six minutes. 
hit it again, play, run around the room again. So whatever got captured on that disc, quality did not matter. What mattered was the vibe. They caught it. They, whatever that was in time, that, that, that feeling in space at that moment, they got it. And that's the crazy thing about this, this, this um, medium is that you can do that. And it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't, you don't have to be a virtuoso, but if you can, you know, I mean, Hemingway was just, you know, a few words at a time, you know, that some of the greatest musicians can do that too. They don't, they don't have to be great, but if they transfer what they're feeling to you in the fewest steps possible, that's a, that's an amazing gift. Well, and we've also heard so much about like that self-editing is such a massive skill to have. Uh, it, it, it really is. Um, I've told this story a number of times. It probably drives him crazy when he hears it, but we were doing Devil in the Details records with Saigon and we had a punk song called All Around. And um, Pete Timbrowski went to do the solo and Phil and I were in the control with him and with, with him and Ronnie Lottie and I think Jim Morris and Jason was out in the uh, lounge playing the NBA jam. So he's like, we're like, go take a break, you know? And um, Pete plugs in, we hit go and we tell Ronnie, just hit record, just, you know, he's, he's quote running through it, but you know, we'll see what happens. Pete can't get the Wawa on, can't get it off, you know, hits this, that, it kind of not stumbles through it, but it feels perfect and sloppy. And it's kind of like he's skidding all over the place into this solo. But Bill and I are listening, just go. And Pete's just kind of getting pissed because he's very technical, very precise, very rehearsed player. Uh, although he could do anything he wanted. He, he's an amazing guy. Um, and um, <laughs> so Ronnie hits stop and he goes, let me do that again. And Phil would go, uh-uh. No way, man, let me do it again, let me do it again. Mm-mm. Hold on. I got, you know, I get up, I go, I go get Beeler, I bring him back in. He's like, is he done? He goes, yeah. He goes, really? I goes, yeah, just want to take a listen. Comes back in. Here's all the same things, you know, the wall walking up coming on. And uh, it stopped and goes, perfect. Keep it. <laughs> He's just going, no, I want to do it again. You guys, you guys, it's not the wrong. No, 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 no. And even Ron, Ronnie, who, was like, who I think is Swedish, he was like, it's punk. Leave it alone. They're like, <laughs> The bard has spoken. <laughs> it, it is interesting. I mean, you know, the the kind of personalities, of course, that you that you wind up you know, being around in this kind of case. I mean, you know, because oh, yeah. you'd think a perfectionist wouldn't work in that kind of a band uh, dynamic. It's it. I guess, in in some ways, it's knowing when to be the perfectionist. You know, I think it's it's either Keats or Yates who said you have to make an hour's worth of work look like a moment's inspiration. You know, that's why Ed, people with Ed Van Halen like, oh, I can't believe he played like that. It was crazy. It just looks like nothing. The kid was playing music since he was four, you know, and winning competitions on the piano and you know, played multiple instruments. He's playing with his father since age six or whatever it was. He didn't just magically walk into that 19 and then get signed two, two years later with Van Halen, too. You know, that's, it was A, in his DNA. B, it was in his life every day, every day. So he made that look easy. And um, so that his perfection um was probably a lot better than my perfection that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but he, um, but I, I mean he, he even he would complain we had um we met him um and we got to jam with him and um we were uh we're talking to him about you know what do you want to play he goes oh man i'm in no position to play you know whatever i've had too much beer whatever it was and um I'm like fine let's go let's just go fuck you know what i i don't care if you can just go eh, eh, eh. I, mean, <laughs> I hear this you know Whatever, you know, Ed Van Halen's doing it. Fine, great. So I'm like, well, what are we going to get? You know, so I think we, uh, we started, we agreed on War Pigs. And we just had that first E chord. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. 
And then he stopped up like towards the end. He's like, wait, wait, let me get this all. Let me get this all. Let me get this all. And, and you know, he played it. And okay, okay, let's try it again. Start again. So um, I guess that was the guy who knew how to be, be a perfectionist, but uh, within reason. But but if you're like him, how do you edit yourself? You know, how do you go? No, that's the right one. Or that's because to me, they all sound great. Now, I mean, I think you know your own stuff if it's crap. And usually if it's crap, that means you're being lazy. But most people um, are, they, I think they get fairly adept after a while if they've had a career in this at uh, editing themselves. And if not, you know, you got to ask somebody. You always got to say, you know, is this enough? Is this the right one? Is that too much? Um, I mean, I, I know I did that for the other guys in, in the Canal Project for sure. Like, is, is this enough? Is it too much? You know, because I love vocal harmonies. Like, you didn't figure that out, right? Um, and uh, so I will go nuts because I love the Beach Boys and the Beatles and Queen and Sweet and uh, you know, all these bands that have these huge eagles, huge harmonies, cheap trick, you know, just over and over. Just you can't put enough on for me. Uh, so there were times like, is that too much? And I remember Colin was going, and he's Colin's from South Carolina. He's like, yeah, that might have been a little too much. He's like, all right, all right I'll, I'll back that one off. Duly noted. <laughs> yeah, because I was going to inquire as to like how difficult it is to like try to you know keep Canel not sounding like Saigon Kick with all <laughs> like to, and yeah. adding like vocal yeah. harmonies. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and um, but I mean, Jason, and I always had that in common anyway. Like I, you know, when the first thing he said to me, he's like, "Who's your favorite band?" I said, "It's the Beatles." He's like, "Okay, well, we'll be fine from here." Um, and he said, "Who's next?" I said, "Queen." He goes, "Okay, set." Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know what it was. I think it's my, my parents played a lot of, um, like the Letterman and, um, uh, like all these, um, like sing along with Mitch. So there was a lot of harmony vocal Ising that I heard as a kid from early, early on. Um, so this is, this is where I get to put it now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I love those early folk records. Like my mom was a huge fan of the Kingston trio, the brothers four. Yeah. 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 And yep. in fact, I pick up a lot of their records now because, you know, once again, I can find them for a dollar. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're a buck, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I've got so many Chet Atkins records. I just like, no, they don't, I just take one look at them and go, it's flawless, it's coming with me. Yeah. Now, Ventures, too. I love surf music, right? So, oh, yeah. Nobody wants Ventures records. I'm like, I do, you know? Bring <laughs> it on. Thank you very much. Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. Love it. I've got, I think, all but his entire, like, real, like, the real years that I love in mono and stereo. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah and it's just, I love this. I saw him here last summer, um, and he's, like, 88, but he's still the most handsome devil in the room. And he walks in, and, you know, he doesn't play the whole song because he's 88, and there's a couple, you know, a couple of those, but, you know, he's 88. Um, but the, to the joy of, I took my dad because he was, he was kind of the guy who introduced me to Herb Albert. And um, I took my dad and I'm just losing my mind because it's in this kind of small venue. And like, I'm right there. That's, there's the guy who played this, right? And I heard it for years and now he's playing it in front of me. And I'm telling this to my dad, I'm getting all ah, 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 you know, wound up and he's just like, yeah, it's kind of cool. I'm like, why, like, why you don't get it? That's <laughs> Herb Albert and he just played the thing, you know? Okay. When you're hooked, you're hooked. That's it. That's it. <laughs> well, you know, and that's the beautiful thing about about dollar records too is that is that you can find things like like I've become a big fan of Porter Wagner as well just from just oh, from yeah. dollar record records. Yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I pick up uh, Roy Clark records like nothing. I love them. 
you know. And again, so you're talking Porter Wagner. So that's the best studios in whatever city, like Nashville or wherever. Yes. Else. The best players, the best engineer, everything. That's that's top of the line stuff. Porter was, you know, the man. It wasn't like he was just, oh no, we're just going to throw you in Porter and turn the switch, and you know, hope you get something right. Mm-mm. No way. Those guys were at the top of the top. I mean, Chet Atkins was not only a vice president; he was like the main producer for like the, the Everly Brothers and Roy Clark and uh, who was the other one? The big one. I might, I don't know, Patsy Cline early on. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, that's the top student. He's playing at Capitol, so all that gear, all those mics. All those reverbs that is like what sinatra used you know that's not just some kids in a garage and it's and it's and it sounds and it was saying on the back i don't know if you're saying this but you're paying for high high fidelity product you know blah 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 blah, blah. Mm-hmm. here's the microphones we use here's the microphone preamps we use here was the the crossover on your system should be this and this wow okay again you're just gonna i thought i was just listening to sinatra but okay <laughs> Uh, I have to admit, though, some of my favorite albums probably would say you're listening to a low fidelity. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) And I I think um, like the the early blues record certainly started that. And then when the the guys in the 60s like rediscovered that feel, um, that's when I think then my generation sure went not to, you know, coin a phrase, but not that's when we went kind of like, okay, that's where punk came in. You know, again, kind of capture the, the low fidelity, I think, does have something to do with how that vibe is grabbed in, in those instances. Sure. Absolutely. Well, and again, there's just something, there's just something about it. I mean, I don't mean it, it comes to, to the beauty of music is that, is that it can be the most pristine recording or it can be the worst recording there's in no that regard, one but there's right or wrong way yeah. to do music. Right, right, right. Totally agree. That's, that's one of the things about it. You know, I mean, people always say to me was, uh, I hear people, when they complain about a song, it always kind of annoys me because I'm like, okay, you don't like it, but if one person, one person in this four billion people on earth likes it, it's a good song, you know? Yeah. All it takes is one because, uh, you know, and there's a lot of music out there that's not for me, but I can appreciate at least that as long as somebody's liking it, then, that, then that's a good song. Right. Well, and, and you don't, and from the artist's perspective, you don't know how it's captured a moment in their life or how they've used it to define a moment in their life. Because you're thinking, I just did a rock and roll song, you know, that's, we want to be good at it. We want to be catchy. We want everyone to like it. But now, um, like when Saigon kicked it, uh, some, some dates a couple of years ago, we were playing Chicago and we did a meet and greet, which I love meeting people anyway. They're, they're, not everyone in the business is like that. I, that I've, I've come to learn. I kind of didn't understand it. That wasn't everyone like the Beatles, you know, hey, how are you then? No, no, it's, you know, some people are introverts. You know, I'm not one of them. Um, you might have picked up on that. I had no idea, really. Uh, no, no, I'll, I'll try harder. Um, but uh, the, the, these folks will be telling us, like, um, we're so glad to meet you because let's say I was in college at the time and I couldn't get to the show and it was whatever. I couldn't afford it or I was too young. My mom couldn't drive me. They're like, I got that because I was in a town in Ohio where we were an hour outside of any big city. So I didn't see Aerosmith or any of that stuff in their in their heyday. So um these people are saying, um, I really have to thank you because we used this song when my mother was dying and we we're doing her chemo, or we, we played this at our wedding, or we played this when my kid was born, or we played this um, at his graduation, or because they've had 25 years to live with it. And then, then they're able to tell you that. You just, it's, it just blows your mind. You're sitting there going, whoa, thank you. I mean, it's so humbling, but it wasn't just one person. It, it was probably over the course of that evening, 18 to 20 people were telling, and they were all different. It wasn't all the same. It wasn't like, okay, it was always loves on the way. And it was always when I was proposing to my wife. No, 
it was uh, everybody, or if it was Russian girl, or it was Eden, or it was, you know, something like that. And you're just going, holy mackerel, you know, we got married to Spanish rain. Wow. And you've been waiting to tell me this. I didn't say that, but I, <laughs> you, can see, you can see it on their face. Like, they're so, I, I can finally tell you. It's like, holy shit, this is crazy. Again, you just, you don't know what happens when you send it out there. Like, you, you, like to your point of like, if it hit one person, you know, that's great. But man, when it hits a bunch of them and they're just, they all got something different out of it. It's just, that's crazy talk. Uh, somehow I'm thinking back to a story of, uh, you know, I mean, on this podcast, Brett had a chance to tell a, a story like that to, uh, to one gentleman whose response to this, this, this really deep, you know, story about the effort he went through to get this album or how much it meant to him and this and that. And the guy just went, oh, good. And I was like, <laughs> he's, a, he's, he's a cool. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It was just kind of, it was one of those moments where, where it was just like, huh. Right. right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. So I got to go get, uh, check my mini bar. I'll be right back. You know, uh, <laughs> oh, man. I mean, because again, um, having done it, but also seeing what people do it to me, when to, it, it takes a, a level of courage to take, that step and walk up to whoever it is and say, Hey, I was, I'm a fan. This meant you're, you're just going, how's this going to be received? And if you get the, you know, on your head, you're like, God, it, it kind of puts a tinge on everything that the person has done. Like, it has. <laughs> no, no, no. And I think that only happened to me once or twice. And they'll remain nameless, but every time it happened to me, luckily, then I'd say in my career, like the important ones is probably, 30 times, you know, where you get somebody to go, all right, I'm going to cross the bridge here. Now let's see what happens. Cause they know me as me. They don't know me as fan of them. And you're like, how's this going to go? And then you just, then you, you blur it out and they're, and they're just, they were always, Oh man, I didn't know that. That's so cool. It's so this, that thanks, thanks, thanks. Then I just oh, sigh of relief. And then when it started happening to me, I could, it's funny. I could see the look in their faces like, Oh, they're going to tell me they're a fan of the band. You know, just like, oh, cool. Watch this here. And it comes like, yeah, cool. Thank you. That's that's so cool. I didn't want to tell you. I was afraid what you do because we were having such a great time. And I didn't want you to like get mad at me. Like, why would I get mad at you? you know? <laughs> that same thing happened to me. I mean, I think one of the, the people I thought I might get a, a clunk on the head from was D Snyder. Because I grew up in New Jersey. So that's when Twisted was still in the clubs. And you'd hear the radio ads every week. Now, when they're playing the Tower Theater, which is, you know, that's a big venue. But as, as an unsigned you know, cover band. And I remember saying to D, dude, I was such a huge fan early on. And I just, I hope you don't think I'm a nerd because you know, he, he knew who I was. Um, and I'm just going, uh, you know, I, I have to tell you because I, if I don't, I just feel like I'm a you know, fraud. And he just laughed. He was just like, man, that's so cool. You know, I, I, I just always think that's cool. I never get tired of it. I've done it. Um, and I think that's one of the interesting and unique things about this business is that you can do that. You know, I don't know if you're, you know, an investment banker you know, and you're good at your job and you meet a guy who's, you know, kind of here and do you, do you walk up and go, oh man, you know, I always wanted to be to you because I liked your paper on, you know, the Keynesian uh, economic, <laughs> you know, probably not just a guess. Um, you know, maybe comedians, maybe, you know, athletes, you know, if you want, you get to be on the same team as your, as your idol. Um, but music is an odd one because you can have, you can have that moment with somebody. And then, like you said, you just pray. They don't go, cool. 
I apologize for my entire, uh, my entire uh, 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 profession, you know, for that one. Somebody, someone's got to go talk to that person. We've no, uh, we've had no. him on the show again since then, and he, it was uh, it, it was, was much better. better. Yes. Okay. <laughs> much better. He's had a bad day. Is that bad? Day? Yeah. Yeah. He's exactly. Had a bad so, day. so we're able we'll to tell you who it, it is off air. <laughs> okay. That, okay. that left a mark. Probably <laughs> no. Like, ah, oh, is my nose bleeding? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh. Uh, so, but you know, I mean, oh, go ahead, Brett. Oh no, 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 go ahead. I was, I was going to ask another question. <laughs> no, no, go ahead, ask another question. Well, I was I'm going to looking at we've taken so much. Yes, more I know, I know exactly. We're supposed to, I'm feeling guilty. I was going to ask, like, what your plans are with Canal going forward. Um, I'd love to say I know, but I don't. Um, and the reason is, um, because people ask you to tour live gigs, and I mean, touring is just so financially. Not a smart idea, especially for being in our position, but streaming possibilities are there, you know, so we could get everyone in the same room and stream it, right? Do a, a streaming gig. So we talked about that. Um, the second record is written completely. Um, I'm just waiting for Rick uh, to do drum tracks and I think three or four. There's another pile of songs that are covers we've done that are kind of like our own take on them. Um, and we chose some really different artists and we don't know if we want to do the kind of um, Everyone kind of does that, you know, we're doing a record of covers or an EP of covers, or do we just kind of sneak them in one by one on like, you know, here or there, like singles. Like we did um, Out in the Fields uh, for the Ukrainian-Russian um, conflict mm. and that's on the Bandcamp page. And it's a free download and you can uh, hit a link and uh, uh, contribute to whatever charity that's on that list that you want to contribute to. Because it might be, you know, rescuing pets, it might be water supply, it might be, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it? A formula for kids, clothes. You, you know, I wasn't going to say no. You know, only go to UNICEF. It's like you know, go to a couple. Um, so we've done that that cover. But um, and then the third record is about sixty percent written. Um, it's going to take definitely some more thinking and plotting uh, because it's a it's a Western concept record, and I don't mean like Western as in the, you know the theology of it. I mean Western as in um, ghost town. You know, shoot them up, cowboys. You know coming into town and they got a score to settle. Um, and um, it's, uh, I, I'm really curious to see how that one turns out because I'm trying to approach it. Like it'll have an overture. Um, and this is, you know, all with guitars. I'm not planning on doing a string section, but, um, but it's got a story. It's got conflict, it's got resolution. It pulls in native American legends and I'm trying to really research it well. So, you know, cause there's going to be some expert on Twitter because, you know, I was listening to that lyric. And it's actually the Cree that would do that, not the Navajo. Oh, God. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, and, you know, by the way, that was in uh, Montana that they had that vegetation that you mentioned in the song, not Arizona. You know. oh, God. So I'm hoping I don't read any of that. But that's the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you laugh knowingly. Yeah. Um, the, uh, so that's, that's the third one that's moving along. And then I've got, um, I did a punk record. Uh, all about my first year or two in Los Angeles when I moved there. Um, and that I put that out about a month ago. It's kind of like boiling under everything else. And then there's another thing called Megaton, which is kind of Dio era Sabbath. Um, and I'm finishing that one up. That's going to be just an EP. And there's one other. Well, there's always a surf record. I got another surf record bubbling under as well. I got to finish that too. So Canel is uh, in first place. But I would say we're working this one um, until we can not work it anymore. Um, and we're very pleased with how it's being received, but yeah, number two is right behind it. 
Well, I mean, that's, that's great. Uh, you know, you know, I, I think the problem is you need to, you need to try to find some more outlets. Yeah, I know. I know. I should, I should, you know, a little, little more, uh, spread my wings a little more. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you, you know, you need to come out of your shell. Yeah, is yeah. your big problem. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know what, what certainly did that was Saga Kick because there, there were no rules. Should, you know, let's you know, hey, let's we have a punk song and a, you know and a, and, a, and a samba, same record, woo! Um, but the the experience that Ricky and I had doing music for film and television and advertising, I mean, you would get assignments that you know we need you to do this and this and this, and you're like, okay. And then it'd be next week. Okay, we need this, and next week we need this, and completely all over the map. And okay, we need to sound like, you know, the White Stripes. Okay, cool. Then next week, okay, we want it like um, Ministry, you know, because it's got it's for cops and it needs to be really industrial. And then okay, here's another one. It's for IKEA, so we need like pizzicato strings and piano. And you, I mean, you had to come up with it and just Bing, 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 Bing. So um, we got a lot of it out in that, but apparently not completely. Uh, there's still uh, things that are all over the map. Well, that's awesome. Uh, Chris, you've been a wonderful guest. Uh, we have enjoyed every minute of this conversation. Me too. You guys are awesome. Thank you for having me. <laughs> well, it is our pleasure. And, and I know we can't wait to have you on again, but uh, please tell everybody where they can keep up with you, how they can get Canal Crash, Burn, Rebirth. Um, the easiest place to get it right now is Bandcamp. Um, where you can get either if uh, you can buy a hard copy CD we have, or you can just get the you know the files if you like. But that's got all the lyrics spaced out and you know the little um, um, the kind of a much more uh, academic story of the band. Um, and then um, and I, I'm on I'm on Instagram as McLaren. I mean Canal's on um, Instagram as well, but I have to say I've been putting most of my updates on like my page just because I I'm, I'm just sometimes just hyper focused on I just I want to go in one place for social media. You know, I don't want to be, uh, you know, the Hydra with eight heads of, okay, I'm on Twitter on this, I'm on Facebook on this. And because they all have their own segment of arguing, it seems, you know. <laughs> uh, so, and there's no referees. Nope. <laughs> nope. Nope. It's, it's the glory and the, uh, and the curse all at the same time. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it, it really is because there's some stuff I found that's just amazing. And I've made some really good friends uh, on it. Like uh, there's a guy named Greg Renoff who wrote a book called Van Halen Rising. And we met online and we become friends. And he, he came to Charleston in uh, March and brought his family. And we all went out to, you know, we took some tours and had lunch and all that. So it, when social media is, you know, works for it, it's, it's awesome like that. But then there's, like I said, the, the people who are just an expert on something, they've never done anything. And they're trying to tell you, you're wrong. I'm like, no, I was there. No, but you know, what we always heard was, I don't care. I was there. <laughs> nah, I'm not listening. Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> I played bass on the record. Just saying, I might have been in the room. Just you know. probably, but again, I mean, just just standing right. in the corner because that's what bassists are supposed to do, right? Stand in the corner. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that, and on this one, people have asked me, "Okay, you can play bass and guitar on that one, you know, on in Canal." And because uh, Colin's like, "You got to play guitar," because we did all the solos, we worked them all out, and all that stuff, and um, and we and we approach it like he's more like the John Sykesy, Gary Moore, and I'm more the Brian Robertson, Scott Gorham. Um, so th there is a contrast between the two solos. I mean, I could play quick, but, and I do it here and there, but he, I think I like the way he does it better. So, you know, I'd rather leave it to him uh, for that sort of stuff. But uh, yeah, the, the bass playing has got to be a certain way as well, because in that band, the bass and the drums kind of gave the guitars this nice little foundation to float over, but it's not like a rock and roll 
rhythm section. It's like R and B and jazz. Like Brian Downey's a very jazzy player. Um, and there's a lot of groove going on that if, if I try and find a bass player that can do that, well then, you know, where am I going to find him or her? And okay. You play this one, like Chinatown, play this one, like, you know, um, wild one, play this one, like, uh, you know, genocide, play this one, like whatever. I don't want to get, huh? Whereas, you know, I know how it goes. I know how it should feel. So, and I can't do both, but we're going to find out what happens there. Just get a double neck guitar or something like that. And just, uh, there you just go. do it. There you go. What was that band that you saw? That guy had four necks. Uh, Nitro. Nitro. Yeah, yeah, My, Michelangelo Badio. I mean, who now yeah. plays with Manowar? So, I mean, he's he's still got all the necks. Oh, he's with Manowar, really? Yes. Wow, I auditioned for Nitro uh, of sorts when I was in between um, Cold Sweat and Saigon Kick, and um, we were doing and loved them all. They were great, and yeah, oh, yeah. Badio's just playing. He's playing the whole time I was there, um, and he's a Chicago guy, so you know we kind of got along. But he, um, uh, I was, we were doing Cold Gin at the time, and just making money hand over fist and they were like well we can offer you this a week i'm like dudes i i make that in like a gig you know with uh <laughs> in and they're like dude because they knew i mean you know like they, they knew it was the, the biggest thing going on in la at the time so they're like dude totally cool no problem but um yeah they're great guys nice guys that's awesome yeah nitro i love nitro they're uh <laughs> it's just one of those another band there's nothing like them yeah when you when yeah. you listen to it it's just like wow that's it yeah 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 <laughs> It's um, and I love Manowar. I mean, yep. there's um, I just oh, yeah. one of my favorite things to soundcheck was uh, the baseline because um, when when Saigon went out, I kind of made this little bit of a rig where I could have an, my bass could be like regular four string, got to throw in distortion, or I could make it sound like an eight string. So like on God of Forty Second Street, it sounded like it kind of filled up like there was a twelve string guitar there. But I can play the intro to Defender by Manowar. You know, and that's what I would use the sound check with just to see who'd pick it up, you know. <laughs> I, just, I just kind of play it, ding, 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 ding. you know, just mm, who's going to get it? And finally, you'd see someone go, <laughs> Yeah, man of war. I said, Yeah, you want to do the Orson Welles part? Come on, you know. <laughs> I love man of war. I just love that unapologetic, you know, we're wearing fucking fur and that's it. Fuck. <laughs> they they mean that shit and they're good. I mean that's the other thing. Yeah. You know, they're yeah. not just they're not crap. They can play. But yeah, they're just like fuck you. I think when they signed their deal with Atlantic, they did it in blood and I mean it's just Oh yeah. You mean well, that shit. They they live the life. I mean I mean when you, yeah. when you th- and it's and it's interesting cuz you think about Ross the boss, I mean who was with Manowar on those early ones. And I mean to go from the dictators Right. And then into Man of War. I mean, that's right. that's some crazy stuff too. Right. Or um uh Mark Mendoza going from the dictators into Twisted Sister. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's a, he's another one I met, and I was just like, what's this gonna be like? The guy's name nickname is the animal, you know. <laughs> and um he could not have been cooler. And and he knew who Siren Kick was and he, he knew me by proxy, but He's just like, because we had just rejoined. He's like, let me tell you, this is what you got to do. And you got to do this and you got to do that. And just, you guys got a lot of horsepower with that name and it's going to be great. And you got to do this. And he was just so cool and generous and kind. And I'm just still sitting there going, I'm talking to Mark the Animal Mendoza, you know, (laughs) (laughs) know, 50 year old man who's all excited about, you know, this guy played Power in the Glory. This is awesome. (laughs) Pay attention, McLaren, you know, over here. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's why we re- we record all these conversations so that we can go back later on and just and just be like, oh, <laughs> totally get it. Awesome. Well, Chris, again, like I say, it's been an absolute treat to have you on the show. Uh, I know we look forward to having you back on, and we certainly wish nothing but the best in the future. 
So thank you so much. You know, yeah, thanks. We'll get into some stories next time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll see. Well, like I said, I'll try and come out of my shell and you know think of something. I wanted to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the, the, the weird advantage. In hindsight, you go. I didn't have any bad habits, so I did no cocaine. I did no pot. I did nothing. I I would drink beer. So my brain is working at pretty high level as far as retention goes. So when things are going on, and I have a good memory anyway, it's got a really deep drawer. So um, I'll get I'll get going, and someone will mention something like, "Oh, I I got a story for that because I remember <laughs> this or this or this," you know. Um, or someone mentioned a song. Oh, I got a story about that song. And it looks like you're showing off and it, it's not, it's just like, it's just my brain works. It just collects things like that. Um, and it's still, still got most of them. I'm usually the dispute settler in both bands. They'll call me up and say, Hey, when we were in Phoenix, it, no, that was in Tucson. Oh, okay. All right. It was in Tucson, you know, <laughs> but I, I also kept logs too, which were really, really useful when it came down to band fights. Because mm. you know, years later, no, that wasn't this. Oh, you're an ass on it. Hold on, let me check. Where was that, Sweden? Please hold. <laughs> no, this is what happened. We were here. It was this. Oh, I told you, shut up. You know. <laughs> Bands, we are families. We just make. We're just louder. <laughs> awesome. That's it. I mean, I want that on a shirt. Yep. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, all right, here we go. Let's uh, the three of us we're going in on it. So let's uh, that's our new shirt. Okay, I'm down. I'm down. That's good. <laughs> Merchandising. Well, thank you again, sir. You you've been incredible. It's been. Oh, I mean, thank I've you. had so much fun. Good. Yeah, I me too. It was a great time. Thank you so much. Well, thank thanks you. a lot, and uh, and I urge everybody to go out and listen to the album because uh, please, please, please. Yeah, that's, that's why we started this conversation, right? <laughs> yes. Yes, that's oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, band's called Canal. Record's called Crash, Burn, Rebirth. Please, it's on Bandcamp. Go get it. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Chris. All right, guys. Have a good one. You Thank too. You. Thanks, man. See you. Okay, bye now. to fight.